but you've got to go back to the source, always back to what's causing the behavior. Because if you can change the way a person thinks, straight away you'll change the way they behave. But that's hard. But that's the only way. Hey, my name is Melissa Lane, and I'm obsessed with all things self-empowerment, self-development, spirituality, and holistic healing to help you navigate this thing called life in a more fulfilled way. Ever felt like you missed the class on how life works? So did I. I'm just a regular girl who grew up not understanding how to create success, where to find fulfillment, or how to live a life that I actually enjoyed. So I went on a journey of self-discovery, and it led me to the realization that everything about living a fulfilling life can be learned. And so the Lifecraft podcast was born. Here, you'll learn how to stop letting life just happen to you and how to begin crafting a life you can actually get excited about. No topic is off limits here, from the scientific to the mystical and everything in between. Difficulties, failures, growth, victories and more are all real life happenings that myself and our guests will discuss. Think of this as your library to life where you can tune in whenever you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged to craft a life you're actually excited to wake up to. This is the Lifecraft Podcast. In this digital age that we find ourselves in, it's so important to remember that we're all still human. And that's exactly what today's guest is here to remind you of. Brad Shawkind is a behavioral specialist obsessed with helping businesses, leaders, and everyday people who go to work be better at the complicated job of being human. We talk about his workplace advisory company, Still Human, and how working with thousands of people around the world has impacted his perception of the humanness of all of us. From his childhood to how our brains work and more, Brad shares valuable lessons on the power of trusting oneself and letting go of other people's judgment to create a life you're actually excited to wake up to. Are you ready to be inspired? Then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, share this episode with someone who you think it would resonate with, and enjoy. Brad, welcome to the Lifecraft podcast. I cannot wait for our community to get to know you and your story better. I took a deep dive into all things that you do, and I am fascinated by you. You're one phenomenal human being, and it's an honor to be able to speak with you today. Thank you for having me, Melissa. Great to be here. I'm excited to, to chat. So I want to dive right into one of the things that really forms us as human beings, and that is our childhood. And so many things happen in childhood that make us who we are, or things happen in childhood that we need to overcome, but it's always a great part of our story. So I would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about your life growing up. It's a long time ago. <laughs> um, so my childhood was... Uh, I come from a great family. I have amazing parents and I'm very, very proud to be able to say that. Um, my dad actually passed away a couple of months ago, so it was kind of the end of a very long era uh, in terms of, of my experience with him. But um, great parents, uh, but I was not a great child. I was a very, very difficult kid. I, I would not have wanted to be my folks because I was a kid who um, kind of viewed the world differently. I looked at the world through a lens and I used to look at things from the youngest age that I can remember and think, 
but really does it have to work that way? There's, there are much better ways to do this. The problem was I was seeing a lot more, but I didn't have the emotional intelligence. I mean, as a kid, I didn't have the skill to articulate myself. I didn't have the skill to fight the fight that I was trying to fight. So I didn't do it in the most constructive of ways. So I was difficult. I was challenging without that ability. And that's how I spent most of my childhood, right through my teens. I became a little bit better at it, a little bit more aware of the impact I was having on other people as a teen. And I immersed, I escaped into sport. Sport was where I found my greatest expression. Um, and all I wanted to do was play sports. I played everything and um, quite excessively. You know, I played everything at the highest level and, and, and got really stuck in and wasn't really interested in academics. Academics was this thing I had to do because there were rules about attending, but I wasn't much for, for academics. It's, it's ironic that um, that I'm now faculty at, at multiple business schools because that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and I was also a deep introvert. I, I was I preferred to keep to myself. I had a couple of friends. And it's also ironic that I now stand on the stage for a living. So yeah, my when people hear my story now, it does not line up to the journey I had as a kid at all. Or maybe it does completely. But I love that. And I think that's why I like to ask questions about childhood because so many of us think that um, that model still applies where we go to school, we know what we want to do, and we end up doing that for the rest of our lives, you know? And I've seen that there's a big shift these days where so many of the movers and shakers in the world were not always A++ students, and they had a different path when they were younger, but they found themselves throughout their journey. So part of your journey was being in the architectural world. And now you're a CEO of Still Human and working with business leaders across the world. So what was the shift that happened that took you out of that architectural world into what you do now? And will you explain to our audience exactly what you do now for a living? Cool. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to play sports. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. But when I finished school and then I, did, I went overseas as a teenager, I played in a, in a like, represented South Africa internationally when I was 14. But when I finished school, my family didn't have the, the money, the means for me to go and do what you do, go and gallivant overseas and hope that something will happen. So um, I decided to study and, and the first plan was I was going to become an attorney, an advocate actually. And um, I just decided at the last second that was not a good idea. I, I looked at this and I thought, I actually don't like who I'm probably going to become. I love attorneys, I love advocates. Um, no offense to any of you who, who do it and wear the capes and defend the guilty and the innocent. But I just thought I, I want a different life. I wanted a more creative life. And um, so I went through a process of, of, of studying design. I had no design subjects at school. I had to do an art portfolio and all sorts of stories around that. And eventually studied art, then studied interior design, and then completed my degree in architecture. So I was now heavily invested in, in this. I had gone a long road to getting to becoming an architect, started a practice, built a practice over, over 16 years, had a, had a brilliant, brilliant time in architecture, have a, an incredible uh, business partnership. Um, Charles, who became my partner, we were complete strangers when we went into business together. To this day, he's like my brother. He's the person I'm the closest to in the world. So that worked. And it was also where my relationship to partnership was formed and to really understanding what partnership is. And I think the partnership is one of the things that frames my life. 
because I look for great partnerships. I also know what not so good partnerships look like. Um, and so that was an incredible time in architecture. And I ran around the world designing cool spaces and cool buildings. And we were also in probably what is the most stressful but most fun part of architecture, which is largely retail hospitality. And it's all theater, you know, designing stores, designing places where people go to shop. No two are ever alike. And you really need to understand the psychology of human beings, of how they buy, how they shop, how they eat, entertain, and all that kind of stuff. It's also the most stressful because you're in a very public environment trying to build when people don't want you there. You're causing dust, you're causing noise. Um, I mean, I remember one story we were working here in the, in the Hyde Park sh uh, Corner Shopping Center, which is in Johannesburg, our most premium shopping center. And we were building a, um, a big uh, coffee shop at the time. But when I said big, it was a big luxury boutique coffee shop. We were not allowed to work there during the day because the retailers around were, were restaurants. So we were disturbing their productivity. So we decided to build the entire store for a month of evenings. On the first night we started working, the hotel, which is upstairs, shut us down because people are trying to sleep. So that's why I say it was challenging, but I learned a lot about working things out. But I just got to a point after running that practice for 16 years where I was feeling like I wasn't growing anymore. I was feeling like um, I, had, I had designed pretty much everything I could ever want to design, uh, short of an airport or a sports stadium, but I had done most other things. And um, I had become a leader. I was leading a whole lot of people. And at that stage, there were no business schools. There was no online. You had to work it out. But I just knew I wanted more impact as a human being. And so I went on a short little uh, consciousness discovery process. Um, went through one or two modules and fell in love with the, it was a club it was a proper catch a wake up and I decided to continue studying not with a view to a career change but with a view to learning more about me finished the program and I knew somehow I wanted to be doing that this is now 18 years ago so the architecture was 16 years of practice there was a little overlap I made a decision and I had to sit down with Charles and say look I don't want to do this anymore and um, just the quality of the relationship between us, the fact that he's still the person I'm the closest to in the world. After I walked away from the business, I started and left it with him. Um, and we were still, you know, it was, it was handled very well. So I think the past 18 years, it feels like a blur because I left the architecture 16 years. I've been doing this and I'll explain what this is for 18 years. But I'll tell you what the difference is. The difference is that in architecture, I felt like I was done. I still dabble the whole time. I'm still designing for fun. Charles still always wants my eye on something for fun. I don't, you know, it's not paid projects. But um, because it's in me, it never leaves you. But um, this, there I felt like I was done here, 18 years later, having worked with thousands of people around the world, having stayed, I can't count the different accreditations and qualifications in this people space. Um, and the, the leaders I've worked with and authoring my first book and busy with books two and three and, and becoming business school faculty, all of that, I feel like I'm just warming up because wow. I'm working with the most complicated machine on the planet, which is a human being. And I, I know this much about human beings. And I'll tell you, this much is this much more than most people who don't do this work know. And I know this much. And that's why I love what I do. And that was what the transition was. And so still human. You ask, what does still human do? Still Human is, is very simply a workplace advisory. 
I, um, we specialize in helping leaders and businesses understand how to create that their, their work environments now, wherever they might be, we, we know that's changed, are awesome places for human beings to wake up in the morning to come and engage with, to switch people on and grow them. And um, while those are easy words for me to just blurt out, it is the most complicated thing in the whole world to do, is to change people. So that's what we do, specialize in organizational culture, leadership, innovation, strategy, and employee experience. I want to dig into the partnership part of it because that was such Mm. a big thing. Um, And I don't think it's something that a lot of people discuss. And I've noticed that having a really great partnership, whether it's with business or whatever it is in your life can make or break you. It really can. So can you give us a couple of tips on knowing what's a good partnership and which might be ones that we should avoid? Or I don't even know how it works, as you can hear. Please give advice because it's something that fascinates me. So I, I was married. So there's that context for partnership as well. And I, I'm now divorced. And, uh, and my ex-wife and I still have a really good friendship. We don't go and coffee with each other, but we're there for each other. We chat once in a, every now and then. We hold a space for each other because we spent a chunk of our lives together. She's remarried. She's got a kid. And, and our lives have moved on. But it for me was, I learned, I didn't know why it didn't work at the time. I just knew it didn't work. Um, we got divorced. I still didn't know why it didn't work. I knew that it was driving me crazy. And her wasn't a healthy place for us. Many years later, when I was writing the first book, um, I co-authored it with my business partner at the time. Also, another great partnership. We were together. That was Andy, who co-founded Still Human with me. Andy's exited the business late last year because she immigrated and her life took a different turn. She needed to go and get a job in Amsterdam as opposed to trying to build a business. But another example of a great partnership. You want to test a relationship, write a book with somebody. That'll test a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) But let me come back to the tips that you asked for. So I mentioned the marriage because it wasn't working, but I didn't know why. I knew I had a brilliant relationship with Charles, but I didn't know why. And then when I was writing the book, we had put it in for publishing already. And um, our publisher was busy with it. And I woke up in the middle of the one night and I messaged Andy and I said, I cannot write a book on business. And it's called We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. And not write about Charles and that partnership because it was the most profound partnership I'd ever had. So that was about my old partner that I was talking to, my new partner about now. And I had a, a great partnership with Andy as well, but it, didn't, it was a different dynamic. And I had realized something. I realized that the reason it worked with Charles and all the other good uh, partnerships I've had is that we had each other's backs no matter what, and we both knew it. Those three things. And I think that's the essence of partnership. You have each other's backs. If you don't have each other's backs, it's not a partnership. It might be a relationship. It might be a friendship. It's not a partnership. Partners have each other's backs. Part two, no matter what. No matter what means it's incorruptible. It's incorruptible. I have your back. Obviously, if I'm doing something that's harming you, the incorruptibility changed because now we're not in partnership anymore. And you both know it is because you demonstrate it to each other. Um, You are consistently seeing the evidence that lets you have that psychological safety. Um, So having each other's backs, no matter what, and you both know it. There's a fourth thing in brackets on the side is if you want to have an unbelievable partnership, you cannot bring all of your trauma, your damage, your baggage, your nonsense, your rubbish, 
because it's rubbish in your current partnership. It wasn't rubbish before, it was very meaningful, but in your new partnership, it is the mess that will destroy the relationship. You have to, we all have stuff. We all have experiences we've had. We all have things that have broken our trust. But in your new relationship or your new partnership in establishment, you need to put that stuff in the cupboard, pack it away neatly on the shelves, close the door. If it starts to peep out, you need to pack it back away neatly. That's the work. If you bring it into your new environment and you throw it all over the place, well, your new partner is going to leave through the nearest exit. So for me, that's, that is the nuts and bolts of partnership. Of course, there's millions of other things you can get into, you know, conversations about communication, meaningful communication um, and, and transparency. And if, take, for example, business relationships or business structures. Businesses do the work of creating the vision, the mission, the values, the purpose. Too many organizations treat that as a tick box exercise. So they'll get mm. expensive people like me to go away to fancy places and they do the workshop and they go, okay, cool, we've done it. We've got a vision, we've got a mission, but then they do nothing with it. But the box was ticked. HR gets their bonuses, sorry, HR people at the end of the, the year, but it doesn't mean anything. The organizations that get that right and they really agonize over clarify, clarifying that narrative. And they then use it to design their values-driven behaviors, their leadership methodologies, the way they measure performance, the way they communicate. Those who use that narrative thrive because you've created clarity. You can align around the clarity and you use it as a behavioral and thinking construct. And it creates consistency. Why don't we do that in our relationships? Why as a romantic partner or whatever the context might be, why not sit down and say, what is our shared vision? Where are we going? Are we aligned in the things that matter? Where do our values align? Where do our values not align? How am I with that? It removes the whole lot of the clutter. And then what it does is it allows you to free up your energy to make magic. Instead of getting caught up in internal dialogues and uh, insecurity and, and all that stuff, free up the energy to make magic that otherwise why be in the partnership yes. why be in the partnership it's easier to get out of partnerships until you've signed contracts than it is to get out of a telecom account why stay if it's not great what reason is there? it's not amazing that my two cents worth on partnerships i love that no there are so many nuggets in there and i think it's a great way to start looking at it because there is the clarity thing is so big, just being upfront and honest with each other. So big, whether it's with whatever type of partnerships you have, and then having that open up the energy and freeing up some energy for you. It's so big and not taking your clutter in. So I love that. If someone is sitting here listening to you, listening to your story, thinking, I, I relate, I'm, I'm kind of done with what I've been doing up to now, Brad. And I genuinely want to create change in my life, but I don't even know where to start because I might not have something that drives me like you did. I might not have a vision of my future. I might not have something that is pulling me forward, but I know that where I am now is, is not for me anymore. What advice would you have for someone like that, that genuinely doesn't know how to create change yet? So I didn't have a vision for my future. Mm -hmm. I had a vision for what I didn't want. I had no idea. I had no idea what was going to happen. I did not have a plan. I knew that I didn't want to keep doing that. I was sitting in a restaurant, um, the one or Sunday afternoon, and I looked up at an angle and at this degree in my line of sight 
was the architect who had inspired me to become an architect. He was one of my family's closest friends. He was probably in his 70s at, when I looked at him Sunday afternoon and he was at his drawing board. And I thought, if I don't do something different about my life, that's going to be me. And I didn't enjoy that sensation. Not that there was anything wrong with it. It was not what I wanted. So when I sat with Charles and I said, I don't want to do this anymore, it wasn't because I had something bigger and better to go to. I had no idea. I just knew I needed the space to work it out. Um, I, it took a while. I, how it evolved was I believed in myself. I, I backed myself no matter what. Um, people often say to me, but you know, how do you, if you, you've had your heart broken, how do you go and have a relationship again and go in 100%? Well, because if I don't go in 100%, I'm not giving it what it needs to be a successful context. Uh, the trust thing again, people say, but how do you give trust away? I will try, you have 100% of my trust. I don't know you, you know, enough to, you have 100% of my trust. Don't screw it up. Mm. That's the lens I come with. A lot of people come in and go, you know, Melissa, it's a new relationship. I trust you 60%. Now you can earn my trust. But what's the quality of our dynamic if it's a 60-60 story? I'd rather go in with everything, but with my eyes wide open. So you have my trust, but I'm awake. I'm not, it's not blind trust, it's conscious trust. And I have that with pretty much everything I do. I, I climb mountains, that's my sport. I know I can die on the mountain, but I can also die crossing the road. So I'm happy to go and climb the mountain. I'm gonna do everything in my power to be well prepared, and if on the day the mountain decides that it's not my day, hey, that's a good way to go. Mm. But I back myself. A new mm. business venture. I'll, ta I'll do the homework, but I'll go and I'll have a go because I know no matter what, I will be okay. I trust that I will be okay. And not because I'm believing in higher powers and I just trust that I'll work it out. Whatever my eye will work it out. So in that situation, I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that I needed a new chapter and I would work it out. Now that's not for everybody, but the important message there is I knew what I didn't want and I had to walk towards something uncertain to walk away from what I was certain I didn't want. Um, and that is that ripping off of the band-aid. I mean, I, all I had was architecture. I had, we had a lot of other businesses we had built on the side because we were relentlessly entrepreneurial, but this was my thing. I had built this. You know, when somebody says to you, what do you do? The first thing we default to is our career. Oh, I'm an architect. And I often say to them, I didn't ask you what you do for a living. Are you a father? Are you a mother? Are you a sister? Are you a brother? Are you religious? Are you, what do you do? Because, but we default to career. So by definition, that was what I was. Um, so for anybody who is wanting to make a change, the first thing you have to do is connect to learn to trust yourself because then you'll know you'll be okay. It's not about what the change is going to be. It's about who are you taking into that change space. That's the secret. That's a quote. I feel like Oprah. I want to give away cards. Yes. <laughs> that is so big. And I love that you said that because as you said that you didn't know, you just knew what you didn't want anymore. I had a flashback of my life and I also made a really big shift from who I used to be to a new journey. And I had no clue what I was going to do. I just knew I couldn't keep on doing what I was doing. And yep. I always think that there is a power in knowing what you don't want. That might be mm. your first step. That might be your first step. And that's enough. It's enough energy to get you into the direction you need to be. And then that blind faith. 
How do you build trust in yourself? Because it's a big one. I learned that a little later on. I didn't trust myself. So I had some wobbles along the way. Um, and now I do. Now I feel like, okay, if I'm going to bet on someone, I'll bet on myself. I've got, I've got my back and I'll be okay. But I didn't start off that way. So I know there are people listening to this thinking, that sounds nice, but I don't even know where to start <laughs> because you don't know my life, Brad. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. Where do we start sure. to, to have that trust in yourself? Okay, I'm going to flip the script and then I'll answer the question. Okay. What shifted it for you? For me, it was... I actually started realizing that the patterns that I were like the, I was living patterns. I wasn't living life and the patterns right. that I was living weren't even my own. They weren't my own mistakes. There were a lot of limitations and a lot of things that have been put onto me by society, well-meaning adults, all of those things. And I let go <laughs> of those patterns and I was like, I've never actually let myself down. Everything has actually always worked out okay. And I yep. have this fresh perspective now. So that's what really shifted it for me. I stopped li just living from the patterns and I actually started living life. Thank you for sharing. So I asked the question because I could have predicted your response because that is, that is exactly what it is. We do two things. We all play out patterns. And those patterns, repetitive patterns, keep us stuck in the same cycle. Um, and those are thinking patterns, which become behavior patterns. And the second thing is, invariably, it's not even our own stuff. It's not even our own information. It's not even our own judgment or expectation. Or It's external. and It's been fed to us. It's become conditioning, which has become our pattern. It's our own internal judge. It's, um, and it starts with a belief. Beliefs come from somewhere. The beliefs create rules. The rules become the behavior. The behavior becomes our results. So we have to go all the way back to the beginning. For anybody who wants to adjust it, you've got to change your belief system. What is it that you're believing? What are those base beliefs? Because you can't change your behavior unless you change the rules in the middle. So, but you can't change the rule until you've identified the belief. So it involves going all the way back to where does that belief system come from? What are the beliefs? You have to name the beliefs. Mm. Change the rules. And then we've got to have rigor and discipline around it. There needs to be consistency because the consistency, and this is all, one of the things that I, I advocate strongly to anybody who wants to study anything, go and learn how our brains work. Um, they're, they're great brain specialists now, and you can find them all over the internet. You can do courses. Anybody says to me, what's going to get me ahead? I don't tell them, go and study this or go and study that. I say, go study your brain. Because if you understand your brain and other people's brains, no matter how much the world changes, you've got an advantage. So it's not about the current. Skills are going to evolve. Mm. Digitization, AI, technology. Skills are going to be consistently adjusting themselves. But our brain, it's the same brain it was when we landed on this planet. Wherever we came from, same mm. brain. So... I think that's what people need to do. If they're struggling, if they're going, yeah, but Brad, it sounds really easy. And what I'm suggesting is not easy either. Understanding your beliefs and putting them under a microscopic assessment is not easy because for a lot of people, that will go, that will fly in the face of their family constructs. But then I'm going to challenge you and go, who the hell are your family to be telling you how to live and to be judging you? And I'm looking everybody in the eye. Now, a lot of people said, what? What did you just say? Because they're living out of 
the, either because there is a dogmatic or a religious lane that the family is imposing. I'm not anti-religion. I'm not saying don't, but I'm saying do it with an open mind. Mm. Religion is beautiful when it comes from an open thinking space, not from a prescribed space. So find the balance. And, and this is going to rattle a lot of people who just are looking at the screen going, okay, enough of that. Mothers are closing the thing now. <laughs> going, you can't, don't, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. That man's evil. That's what's going on right now. But you have to go back to where the belief comes from because that is where the limiting thought comes. And then if we move just past all of that and we just go to somebody who's sitting and struggling, um, I see this a lot in the coaching space, is I had a session this morning where a CEO phoned me and said to me, I need you to recommend a coach. You can't work with this person because you're my coach and this is somebody I may have to fire. So I need a neutral colleague of yours to work with him. We need to fix his behavior because he's become very unconstructive and um, he's really being, he's being messy with the people he's working with and he's about to get fired. We've warned him, said, okay, give me the situation. The situation is this guy was expecting to be promoted, wasn't given a promotion, in fact, was demoted slightly and he's now become completely uh, toxic in the environment. So they're wanting somebody to fix his behavior with his colleagues. I said, but hold on a second, you're missing the point completely. Go back to where he's at. Right now, he's in denial. He's in non-acceptance of the reality. So his behavior is a retaliation to his current state. The only way you're going to get him to shift is to first change his acceptance of his reality. Then you can change the behavior. But too quickly, we try and default to changing a behavior, but you've got to go back to the source, always back to what's causing the behavior. Because if you can change the way a person thinks straight away, you'll change the way they behave. But that's hard. But that's the only way. That is the only way. Yes. Only way. So many aha moments right there. One of the things that I do want to get into um, is you mentioned that we need to understand the brain. So mm. that fascinates me. When I started learning a little bit more about the brain, one of the first things, if I ever do coaching, I'm like, you got to understand how your mind works. You got to understand the brain. You got to understand you are still human too. You can be a really enlightened being and you can like be religious and you can be all the things. You're still freaking human with a brain that works a certain way. And most of our brains work exactly the same way. I want to say all, but we are online. So people might just cancel me if I say they're like everyone else, but we kind of are like everyone else. Like we yeah, are really, we are. we're really basic. We're so complex, but the brain is a fascinating thing. So I'd love to know from you, what is the most fascinating thing about the human brain for you personally? Uh, well, I love how many times in that question you said still human. Uh, I clearly picked a great business name. Yeah, you really um, did. Or I'm a great interviewer, just sliding in that <laughs> subconscious. Everyone's just going to think I'm going to buy the book. I'm going to be, I'm still human, you know? Totally. So it's one totally. of those two, Brad. We don't know. <laughs> it's one of those two. Okay. So what, what for me is most fascinating about yeah. the brain? So firstly, we are all exactly the same. We are, I mean, if you cut our brains open or if you do an MRI, our brains are all the same. It's the information in the brain that's the problem. When you buy, I'm sitting here at my laptop, and you could buy the same laptop, it'll have the exact same specification. Our brain is just a hard drive. It's just a processing machine. Um, and we now, there are obviously all sorts of debates about what we come in with in terms of DNA, 
your brain is your brain. Mm. Um, it's then you load in the software and the operating system and depending on what gets loaded into that brain will determine to a large extent how that brain functions. So they start off very similarly, but it's then all the stuff. So that's why I'm very conscious of what I listen to. I don't, I don't listen to or watch the news at all. People say to me, how can you do what you do? How can you be a strategist? I mean, I work with big businesses on strategy. How can you be a behavioral specialist? How can you be an innovation person? Because these are all my lanes and not watch the news and not know what's going on in the world. They say, because what's going on in the world and what's going on in the news has nothing to do with high quality innovation, leadership, strategy, culture, human experience. That is all just propaganda that's being fed to us. I rather go and look constructively. I choose where I access my incoming streams. I choose what newsletters arrive in my inbox. I choose what podcasts I listen to. I choose where I get the news that I want to consider is true or not. And so for me, the thing that is fascinating about our brain is its ability to process information, to connect the dots, um, but also the fact that they do become different because of what we feed them. Um, and then they start to, because if two people process things differently, it's largely because of the way that that brain's been configured over time, been set up over time because of all sorts of streams and, um, you know, because our brain is sending off messages and those messages are the things that create avoidances. So slower processing, but that message came from somewhere. So it's when you start to understand that you, then the plaster, that's the most fascinating thing is the plasticity of the brain. Our brain is completely plastic and it can be remolded and reformed. My brain now, is a very different brain to the brain it was when I was practicing architecture. I am, and I mean, I'm me, I'm me. All of that stuff is me. But I remember I was a tyrannical leader on a building site. In my office, I was very well composed and I was very focused on growth and, and whatnot because this was now an organized environment. Get into the battle zone of a building site. And I, I remember one incident where I, I was um, I went there on a Saturday morning, we were under huge pressure, and I picked up a piece of building material and in a rage because of the pressure. Now this was a trigger. My brain responded to a trigger and I threw this building material across the building site. I could have killed somebody, but I just had, I needed an outlet and that was me. And then I started screaming and shouting and wow, I haven't done that in two decades. But there was a moment where the guy's name was Ephraim. He was one of the electrical laborers, an old guy in his 70s. And he took me by the arm. Now, I'm the boss on the site. And he's just a guy working there. But this was the courage and the wisdom of this guy. He took me for a walk outside. He said, Brad, you can't keep doing that. He said to me, we see the pressure. We see you in the meetings with the, 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 the client. We know they're putting pressure. But it doesn't mean we can't do it any differently. He said, in fact, when you treat us like that, we slow down because we don't care. And he said, you know the restaurant, because he was working on another project for me in a big restaurant, and he said, they are busy setting you up. He warned me, this guy saved my career. He said to me, you know, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks for us to pull the electrical cables through the conduits. He said, it takes us one or two hours to take them out. He said, you are going to arrive for the launch, expecting to switch on the lights and switch on the kitchen, and there's gonna be no electricity. That would have been the end of my career, because it was a high profile project. He had the decency to give me a heads up. In that second, my brain changed. In that second, I shifted from this tyrannical, beat them up kind of leader to a very different style of collaboration, of respect, 
um, I went back inside, inside to the to the building site, and I called the plasterer over because what I had seen was a very bad. I had this very sexy, curvy, wavy detail, and I called him over because I wanted him. Now he had to sort this out, and I could see he was looking to see how I got any sharp objects in my hand. Hi. And I just called him over, and I said, him, "What do you see?" Instead of ranting about what I see, I said to him, "What do you see?" And he stepped back and he looked and he said, ah, "I see it." I said, "How do you want to fix it?" And he said to me, he, "I could see he was a bit surprised." And he said to me, "Give me five minutes just to work this out." He came back to me, said to me, "You leave." So Saturday morning, he said, "You leave and come back on Monday, and we will have it sorted out." Now Tuesday, we were opening the 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 the, the, the space. Obviously, I didn't trust at this stage completely. So I snuck in there on Sunday afternoon under a cap and dark glasses, and I went to Pete, <laughs> and I saw the most amazing thing. I saw that they had scaffolding. Had brought in extra teams. They had foot pads under the scaffolding to protect the the wooden floors. This guy had gone the extra mile in one day on a weekend. He had pulled his whole attitude, his whole his attitude because of my attitude, and、um, I didn't let them see me. And on Monday afternoon, when I came back to the site to start to clean, it was already clean. And we were open on Tuesday. I mean, the hair is standing on, on end. It changed everything for me because I just treated him like a human being, and I've never since then lost it like that—not even a fraction of that much. That was a, a, a brain rewiring because of a trauma. My brain had its own moment of trauma with that conversation with Efrain, and it completely rewired itself. I then, years later, when I stepped into this space that I am. Um, about ten years ago, I was in Dubai doing an innovation training, and they gave me a book to read.、Um, and it was one of the books that most shifted my perspective on everything. It's a book called Multipliers by Liz Wiseman, and it talks about how, as a leader, you can make everybody you work with smarter. But it's either you're going to amplify their intelligence, or you're going to completely shut them down. And I realized that I was doing both. But I was doing more of the shutting down under pressure. It was a default trigger under pressure. In the comfort of my office, I was a builder, building sites. I was a breaker, and I mean, I teach that. I've run all around all over the world working with this methodology teaching. Because when I read the book, I wanted to bring it back to South Africa, and I work in, in partnership with license holders. I work very closely with Liz over the years. She's she is Liz is currently rated as the number one leadership thought leader on the planet,、wow. and I've had the privilege of learning from her. But I'm so grateful that my brain got rewired by something will trigger all of us.、Mm. It's about when does that happen for you? I believe everyone's got the ability to change. Thing is, what's going to cause that shift? But it's that plastic, that plasticity. Now my whole approach to leadership is so different. I am highly collab. Don't get me wrong. I know what I want.、Mm. Um, I'm very specific about what I want, but I'm highly collaborative because I also know other people's intelligence can give me even more. So.、Um, That's a long answer for what intrigues me about our brains. That's a brilliant answer, and I love that story because I always think that we all get those moments, those opportunities for change, and sometimes we just bulldoze through them, and we don't let them sit. We don't let. We don't feel them. We don't. We don't. We aren't present enough to realize that that is a moment, that is an opportunity for change that life has given you, and it's so great to hear that you got it. In that moment, and that it、yeah. made such a big difference. And I always think so many of us have those moments. We have those big moments, or a trauma, like you mentioned, with a big T or a small T. Yeah. What would you say is your advice for someone who wants to change in a more easeful way? 
who doesn't want to wait for the big moments, who doesn't want to wait for the trauma, who sees things in their lives, knows those beliefs are there, are thinking, yes, I know I should change that belief and I'm trying. You know that vibe um, where it's not a big trauma yet, nothing has gone wrong yet, but they know they need to shift in a certain direction. Do you have any advice for someone like that? Just do it. No, it's not as simple as that. Um, so I think that the knowing, the question is, do they know they need to shift because that's the right thing to be saying? Yeah, I know I need to do it. Or do they fundamentally know, but they just don't know how? Um, the one is the lie we tell ourselves and everybody else. And the other one is the reality that we live in, but we live in it in a stuck state. I think that the, for me, the most powerful way to change, change is a big word and scares the living dead out of the people. The most powerful way to start to shift anything is to do something. Just do anything, do something. Because non-action builds the anxiety. Non-action creates more of an awareness of it's building, it's building, it's building, nothing's changing, but something needs to change. Do something. And something breaks the anxiety of stuckness. Obviously something in the direction of what it is, but it doesn't have to be big sweeping changes. Mm. In my work, I talk a lot about wasabi. Wasabi is a concept I came up with. You know, if you have sushi, the little yeah. green dab of, of, of mustard, most people have fallen for the avocado trick. Oh no, it's avocado. And then you take a big and you cry out of all your orifices. But the wasabi, a tiny little dab, significantly changes the uh, heightens the experience significantly right. change is not dissimilar you can find small subtle adjustments to make that can significantly change your experience mm. so i suggest to people it doesn't have to be massive look for the small things and people say what do you mean by that so i say okay let's take something that plagues most people most people many people have a few extra kilos that they'd like to Get off as we get older they become a little bit more stubborn wasabi would be when you are in a restaurant and you order a coffee steer clear of the little biscuits they put on the side that's hidden calories you just you didn't want it you didn't order it you don't need it give it away where else are the little biscuits in this on, on the side of the coffee in our lives if we can find all of those small things uh, if it's the weight control thing a second helping i promise you no one needs a second helping it's just because it tastes so damn good and we're addicts to yeah. good taste. No one goes back for a second helping of something that doesn't taste good. We're addicts. These are the wasabi adjustments. Wasabi, people say, I don't have time to exercise. Everybody, I, don't, I am a really busy guy. I'm well balanced. People don't understand my balance. Um, it looks like I'm delusionally busy. I am busy, but I'm busy balancing as well. I have what I believe really good balance. But I'm very intentional on making sure that I get exercise in every day. Yes, maybe I don't have time to get to the gym or whatever the case might be, or do a long workout, I climb stairs or the backpack, it takes time. But everybody can have in their house a space long enough on the floor for them to lie down on and do push-ups. Yes. Do crunchies, do burpees, walk up and down the stairs, 15 minutes, listen to a podcast. Mm. That is a wasabi change that can completely change your whole life your physical well-being, your mental well-being, everything. Um, it's not a massive change, but it'll change your life. So I could go on, there's millions of things. In the workplace, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of things that you can do that will create shift. 
Um, now, these are shifts to the way we do and, and, and live and whatnot. And then there's obviously, if you're needing to get out of something and into something else, what are the small stepping stones? Mm. Small thing is having a conversation with someone, someone meaningful. You never know what comes from a conversation. A small thing is, you know, last night I spoke at an event um, and these events happen quite frequently. And they, they are deliberate learning and connecting events. Um, great content, hopefully always coming off the stage that can help people think about things differently. But you never know who you're sitting next to and very deliberately being told to have a conversation with. You just don't know. I'm an introvert. I hate networking events. I don't easily make conversation with strangers. But some of the best things that have happened in my life have come because I got out of my comfort zone. I got into my car, even though everything in my, every five of my being was going, dude, you'd so rather climb into bed and watch Netflix. Got into the car, went, and something magic happened. And that didn't take money. It didn't take big investments. It didn't take anything. It just took intentionality to shifting the dynamic and maybe allowing something magic in. But also have to watch the same as I said earlier, we've got to look at who we're taking to the next opportunity. You've also got to check on who you're taking to spaces where other people are because nobody gravitates towards the negative human being. Nobody gravitates towards the doom and gloom person. So that baggage, all that stuff that you need to pack into the cupboard when you get into new relationships, that stuff also needs to be packed into the cupboard when you're in new spaces of possibility because no one wants the drama. Oh, wasabi changes. I'm going to remember that those small things can make such a big difference and it might be all you need to be on a completely different journey. I love that. I would like to get into your book now. So you co-authored a book and I love the title. We are still human and work shouldn't suck. Thank goodness for that. Just that title alone <laughs> makes me smile. So what is the book about and who did you write it for? The book is, um, I mean, here's, it's a story of not giving up. The book was my fifth attempt at writing a book. Wow. The first four were the wrong book. I was just trying to write the wrong book. None of them were about work or what I did every day or what I was passionate about. They were just about things that I thought would work. They didn't. Um, and I never got past a few thousand words on any of them. This one, this was the right book at the right time. We, this was with Andy. We spent about five years researching a shared passion. We were both obsessed with knowing what do the best companies around the world to work for? Obsess about getting right, invest in getting right in the employee experience, in what it is that switches people who work there on and makes them grow. So we went, um, we spent a few years observing, interviewing, gathering data, and we were looking for one simple thing, what we thought was the holy grail of employee experience, the five key things that they invest in getting right. We found seven, five, seven, and then 12. And we built a model around these 12 human experience touch points that are the things you have to get right in terms of the experience people are having at work. And we learned the key learning was they are all affecting each other all the time. So take something like meaningful communication, sounds obvious, but if the meaningful communication is low, so too will be the quality of ownership and accountability. So too will be the quality of knowledge flow. So too will be the quality of innovation with intent. Stoke is, is the wow moments it will all be low. So they're all pushing and pulling on each other the whole time. So we, we worked out how to create a, a format and a model that we could teach that could be easily worked with inside the, the world of business. And um, that evolved into the book, which we wrote as a how-to. One of the things that 
frustrates me about most, and I've got great friends and colleagues who are amazing authors, but they tell you what to do, they don't tell you how. Yes. You wrote the how. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for that. I'm very passionate about that because I was that girl in <laughs> class. I was that girl in church. I was that girl. Like, yes, that, like, thank you for telling me what I need to do, but how? But how? Yeah. That was my whole yeah. childhood. Yeah. No, I understand yeah. that. Great. And then, and then we, made it, we, we, and we made it more accessible. It's got visuals. It's very visual. It's got tools and they are referenced and it's got, we know, so you asked who's it written for? It's, it sits in the business book section. A lot of people think it's a leadership book, but it's not. It's written for every single human being who wakes up in the morning to have other people alongside them because we're all having an experience of each other. So it's not only for leaders. In each section, there is a little, we call it the leader's lens. There's a little piece. If you're a busy leader, read this, like go here. And then if you want to read more, you can read more. So it was kind of written for people who are visual, people who are busy, people who want a deep dive, people who need tools. Everybody can read it in different ways. Um, and yeah, it's been read all over the world, which has been amazing. Um, and I, I love sharing the, you know, the content. The talk I did last night, I spoke a lot about material from the book. I gave one away as a gift because that's the least I can do. And my email went crazy this morning with book orders. Mm. So I love that people are getting, oh, what was really profound was our book hit the shelves. It was published and hit the shelves in December 2018. On the front cover of the book, it says how to build businesses that are awesome places for human beings in a world gone digital crazy. December 2018. One year later, COVID hit the world. The world went digital crazy. So it's almost like we saw the future happening. And um, it, the, the book exploded because of that, because people went, how do we do this humaning thing? Like, what is this humaning thing? I'm busy with books two and three at the moment. Book two is the leadership model that evolved out of it because it wasn't a leadership thing. But people have said, I, I love this for our culture. How do we lead for this? Yeah. So we've built an incredible model. And it wasn't, I didn't build it. I took guidance from all my clients and packaged something that, that works for them. And then the third book is a really cool one because in, in the first book, there's a villain. The villain's name is Ralph. Ralph stands for refusing to allow learning and progress to happen. R-A-L-P-H, Ralph, refusing to allow learning. And um, Ralph is such a brilliant lens for people to look through how they are breaking the learning. We need to be learning businesses. Businesses have to be learning. So the third book is um, Ralph has got his own book now because of how popular or unpopular Ralph has become. So that's what the book is about. And um, it's about creating that. People don't understand the significance of employee experience. Mm -hmm. If your business is looking to be relevant, you need to be innovating. You cannot innovate if people are not feeling safe to risk, to try new things, to ideate, to be creative. You can't innovate. And um, so, yeah, if you want to be relevant, you better switch your people on. And that's what it's all about. Oh, where can we order your book, find your book, where can the people, because I, I need to read that book now. So I need to get a copy myself. It's available online broadly on, on take a lot. So these are guys who will deliver it to you. Take a lot, loot, exclusive books online, um, Amazon, if you want an ebook version, but I definitely recommend paper versions. And for bulk orders, it's easiest to actually contact me because the guys online hold stock, but they don't hold. Like this morning, somebody phoned and said, I need 200 copies, but I can't get it from anyone. I was like, I'll get 200 copies to you. So, and if they want signed copies, which people obviously do, then they need to talk to the author. Right. Um, so yeah, happy to, I'm very happy. Those are emails I love receiving 
where can we buy 200 to 300 or 1,000 was a couple of weeks to copies of your book. And, and people need to understand, no, I, we don't get rich from selling books. For me, I, we really don't. Publishers get rich from selling books and they deserve it because they work damn hard. For me, the more books that are out there, my purpose is to create more conscious business leadership on the planet because I believe business runs the world, not religion, not politics. Sorry again, folks, business runs religion and politics. We need more conscious business leaders. And my book is about being more conscious in the world of business. So the more that are being read, the more we can change the human experience. It's time we did that. Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on a book and I'll have to get awesome. a signed copy. It'll have to be and it'll be here on my bookcase and I'll share all of the details down below so that if people want that, Fantastic. they can get it in the description. I want to ask you what advice you would give to your 16 year old self if you could give them one piece of advice today. Um, stop listening to narrow minded people right now. Do not care about what other people think. And don't, not from a place of disrespect, but understand that their lens is not your lens. You need to have your own mind. The sooner people, youngsters can stop caring, not from a place of disrespect or rebellion, but from a place of becoming curious. Become curious, question everything. Not for being difficult, but for learning and for becoming a critical thinker. The sooner we can develop our critical thinking, our ability to analyze, to make sense of things, the more successful we'll be in life. What a great answer. It was... It was one of the key things that I had to learn in my own life is to think awesome. for myself. It's a big thing. And I think if that's one thing that anyone at 16 can learn, yes, Brad, I absolutely, I back that. It's so profound. Learning to think for yourself will change your life. And as you said, not from a place Completely. of disrespect or trying to be difficult, but for really just having that trust in yourself and knowing that you have certain things that you need to accomplish in life and that they were only given to you. No one else will be able to hear what you need to do. I've got a couple of rapid fire questions just for fun. That'll cool. go quickly. And then I've got one last question for you before we stop talking, but quickly tell everyone where they can get a hold of you, where they can learn more about you, get into contact with you, all of those things. Um, everything is on my website, a new website went live yesterday. It's still a bit clunky. It's been months of development, but to get to the new one and not to land on the old one, they need to go to www.storehuman.co.za. If you live out there, where, 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 you're going to land at the old one for now. It's a Google glitch. So www.storehuman.coza. Contact details are all there. Otherwise, Brad Shawkin on all the social channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, um, I'm getting better at those. I'm an old toppy, so I have to learn the learn the social channels. You'll have but, um, to. Happy to take emails and um, and chat and yeah, I'm happy to to speak, discuss, explore, challenge. Bring it on, folks. Brilliant. I'll share all of that in the description as well. So definitely get into contact with Brad. What a phenomenal human being. Okay, few rapid fire questions just for fun. Number one, what makes you smile? What makes me smile? Oh, I love magic. Whatever magic means. Uh, my ethos is zero drama, maximum magic. I love magic. And I love animals, dogs, cats. I love animals. Traveling. Oh, now you've opened up the traveling. I love to travel. I'm so happy to be back on airplanes again. Traveling. Brilliant answer. And cool, I love people. That. cool people. Cool people. Cool people. I dig yeah. cool people in cool coffee shops. 
I love people too. I really do. I get as excited about people as I do about things like sunsets and dogs. I yeah. love people. They are fascinating, complex, and so magical as well. <laughs> so great answer. Next one. What is your star sign? Do you know what it is? Yeah, I'm an Aquarian, but I don't really an do like. You don't need to oh, do that. You clearly do. You. <laughs> I'm a weird, wonderful girl. Obviously, yeah, I gotta yeah. have my quirks, you know. No, but I love it as a science. I don't love it as a predictive thing. I love it as a science and something to study. So, but it's good yeah. to know. It's good to know. Next up, what is something that you tend to say a lot? Uh, this is an adult. This is a family show, so I'll have to park one or two things. Um, <laughs> now I want to know what those are. I, we can bleep them out. Something but I, mean... I say a lot. Um, I, I use the word sexy a lot. Like that's that's sexy. That's sexy. That was a sexy moment. That's a sexy font. That's a sec sexy and. But sexy, what I've learned, sexy means different things to different people. Oh, absolutely. So when I say I want it to be sexy and you show me what your sexy is, I'm going, you don't know what sexy is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I use the word magic a lot. Those are two buzzwords without a doubt. Brilliant. Just got a whole new perspective on you. Up next, what is one meal you would eat happily for the rest of your life? Um, one meal happy well pizza's right up there I love pizza but I still care of it as much as I can but I think my happiest meal I love a combination of doughy crunchy and saucy mm. so like a steamed chicken bao with the, the Japanese mayonnaise which is the Japanese cousin of an amazing gyro so with beef or lamb and sauce and crunchy tomatoes and then the doughy pizza that is my my execution meal I just want like lots of them so I can die happy and maybe explode from eating instead of from electrocution. <laughs> I love that. That sounds amazing. And now I'm hungry. Okay. What is your favorite <laughs> podcast? Sure. Uh, I, I, you know, at the moment I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to rewire my brain a little bit about marketing and branding. And I'm listening to Gary V, uh, okay. Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, material. And he's out there. He's completely out yeah. there. Favorite place in the world? Mm -hmm. uh, I have many. I have so many for different reasons. Um, but I love Kalk Bay, uh, locally, Kalk Bay, and internationally, uh, Tulum in Mexico. Mm. Oh, I've always wanted to go to Mexico. Oh, mm. Okay. Brilliant. Love that one. What do you need to remind yourself of more often? To remind myself more often? Uh, stay away from the bread. <laughs> and um and go to sleep dude go to sleep that's a great one for all of us so that's why i like asking that question because i think we all need to hear those things more often before i get to my last question i just want to take a moment to acknowledge you i really want to thank you for taking on the opportunity of shifting your life so that you can become the person to make the impact that you're making i've heard you. about you long before I met you in my circles and people I look up to who look up to you and who you have changed and inspired. And I think you don't grasp the scope of how small things that you say make a really big impact in people's lives. And I know that that doesn't just happen overnight. It's a conscious choice every single day to be that person and to show up as this 
Brad with this brain. And I just want to thank you for that. And I want to take a moment to just acknowledge you for your journey. And now I've got one more question for you. What is one thing that we can do as of today to live our everyday lives better? Uh, I said it earlier without a doubt. I think that the biggest prison is, is living a life based on what other people think. We've got to get out of the prison of, of the fear of judgment. Both our, our own judgment is based on other people's judgment. We have to get out of the prison of internal dialogue of judgment. And it might mean you have to away from family. You will get out of the prison. Get out of the prison. What a brilliant way. You can't live your life in the prison of what other people think. Thank you, Brad, for your time. It felt like an amazing coaching session. I just wanted to make notes all the time. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Much appreciated. And you have a recording, so you have all the notes you could ever need. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and taking the time to invest in yourself and in your future. If you loved this episode, be sure to share it with us by leaving a positive review or tagging us in a post or in your stories. Share one thing that stood out or inspired you to live your everyday life better. This helps us create more meaningful episodes for you to enjoy. If you're not already following us on social media, be sure to follow at The Lifecraft for more inspiration and tools to help you live your most powerful life. And remember, you always have the power to craft a better life for yourself. And we are here to help you do just that. We'll connect again in the next episode. And until then, keep creating a life that you're excited to wake up to. We enjoy bringing you interviews from experts and everyday people so that they can talk about their experiences and share information, tips, and what has worked for them on their journey towards a better life. However, remember that the opinions or advice of our guests and myself, the host, should not be taken as personal, actionable advice and is given as general information and education only. Please always remember to consult a qualified professional before implementing any medical, financial, legal, or other advice that you believe might work for you. Lifecraft is not responsible nor liable for your decision when implementing anything you hear on the podcast. Please listen and act responsibly. The opinions of our guests do not represent the opinions or views of Lifecraft or Melissa Lane personally and are meant as information and general education only.